0: So we started speaking about Amuna. Yes? And I said Imuna has two characteristics, right? We see from this phrase Pesi Yamin L yavim, that a fool believes anything or believes everything. And a clever person understands that the idea of a fool is one person who is not capable of understanding. So their confidence derives from a different aspect of their psyche. There's there's an ability to have confidence and certainty in something completely independent of your actual comprehension of that thing. Which is, again, like I said, not a bad thing because how do we navigate life if we had to first comprehend everything in order to achieve some certainty? Now I actually want to talk about the reverse a little bit. Is it true that the more you comprehend, the more certain you are of something? No. No. Okay, so, there is a common mistake, which is that the more I understand, the more certain or confident I will be about something, and that's just not true, okay? Um, there are often many times that you have two characteristics, which are independent of each other. So, I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. Physically speaking, something can have a shape and something can have a color, right? Does the color have any bearing on its shape? Does the shape have any bearing on the color? No. No. Okay. In sense perception, right? we have visual sense, we can see, and we have audio sense, we can hear, right? Those are independent of each other, right? God heard a person can be blind can still hear perfectly, the person can hear and be deaf and still see, right? And they pick up different facets of the physical world.
1: Yeah.
0: Understanding well, what in Hebrew is called Hasagak or Havana, and a sense of certainty about something, which could be called Imuna or Das, and I don't want to get into the difference between the two, but just that they share that, concept, that sense of certainty, they're not, really, they're not really related to each other. A person can have a very strong sense of certainty and very little understanding. A person can have a strong understanding and very little sense of certainty. This leads to an important thing. Let us say a person is struggling, I don't know, with their sense of certainty about Judaism. Is it true that the more they learn about it, the more they will get a stronger sense of certainty that Judaism is true and important and they should live their life that way? It is not that way. Is it the case that the less you know, the more certain you will be. No, they're completely independent. Okay? Um, now, briefly, because it's not really the main topic, what then would be the role of trying to understand about Judaism? If a person has insecurities, they're unsure, they don't have a, they don't have a sense that, that, of confidence that Judaism is true and real, what would be the point of trying to understand if understanding doesn't create certainty? Okay, Bill it doesn't build in it. That would be the exact point. And moon is just a Hebrew word for feeling certain that something is true. And it doesn't, unfortunately. It
1: could build a relationship.
0: Okay, so one thing is it could build a relationship. However, the problem with that is that actually presupposes you don't have any Muna problems. I'll explain to you um, what I mean. You have a choice in life. You can either question whether your friends are real or you can have relationships with them. But you can't be doing both. Your psyche doesn't allow it if you're uncertain that maybe your friends are figments of your imaginations, right? you are not going to be able to have any meaningful relationships with them, right? So it's true that understanding does play a role in having a relationship with Hashem, but that presupposes that you have certainty about Judaism already. Okay. That's actually the perspective. When Hasidus is dealing with trying to understand things, it's taking that approach. It's presupposing that the, 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 a sense of certainty about Hashem and Judaism is already in place, and it's about just furthering the relationship and and, and but I'm asking the reverse, yeah. Well, let's say a person is lacking a sense of or lacking a sense of certainty, like Hashem, Torah, Mitzvah, whatever the case might be. Is there any place at all to try to understand things if understanding doesn't create certainty? Person struggling with doubts, they're not sure. Should they even bother asking any questions? Yeah. Why?
1: And they're engaged.
0: Okay. But for that matter, we could just like have them over and like for a porn party and then they're engaged too, so you know. Sure. So anything that questions and trying to understand specifically can help. I told you a story about a friend of mine who became a Christian before he became religious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What? Yeah. yeah. So why did he become Christian, since you remember the story?
1: <coughs>
0: he was looking for something, he didn't know. He was looking for something, right? And he knew it wasn't Judaism. How do he know it wasn't Judaism? Because
1: he was Jewish. He never experienced Judaism.
0: You no, know, because he asked the rabbi, how does God want us to live? And what did the rabbi tell him? Well, God, you know, it's not so clear that God really exists. And like, you know, hemming and hawing. And so he knew that however God wants us to live, it can't be found in Judaism because Judaism has a kind of a, uh, ambivalent attitude towards the existence of God. Now, is that true? Judaism has an ambivalent attitude towards the existence of God and God's will? No, no but he was misinformed, right? By quote, rabbi, yes? So what if you are misinformed? Is that going to create problems?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? yeah.
0: Very often, People ask questions, not because they feel because they feel a lack of a confidence and certainty and that, that this is all true and it's not like again, this is not always the case, but but sometimes the issue is that they're under a misconception, and so what they are often asking for is for evidence or proof for a misconception that they're supposedly think that this is what is being being taught, when really what they should be asking is a much more basic question, which is, is this what's really being taught? Okay, so let me, let me give you a, a real life story. I had a student many, many years ago in the men's program, and he asked me to prove that God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai. So we had a discussion, and it turned out that his question was something else. What was his question? How do we
1: know
0: No, it's the same thing in different words. Did
1: God give us the Torah?
0: His actual question was, he didn't know this was his question. His actual question was, how is believing God gave the Torah any different than believing anything some crazy charismatic person says? Now, that's a different question, right? Now, even if I tell you how it's different, does that actually now prove that it happened? No. no. But what does it do? Words, he has a very strong, and I would say reasonable, resistance to believing just what some crazy, charismatic person says, right? And as long as he's in the conception, that's what the Torah, that's what means that Hashem gets thrown out on sana, is that God spoke to Moses, and Moses comes down with all of his crazy charisma or whatever, then... Because he has this resistance to believing that kind of thing, he has a hard time accepting that God gave the Torah, right? Now, if I had to tell him how it's not the same thing, <laughs> does that now prove that it happened? Doesn't it, it proves that it happened? It proves that you know, there's lots well, of things that are not the same; they're just different. And if they're different, now maybe his natural instinct of Amuna feels more comfortable. In other words, it's not really like I did not provide him with an argument or evidence. He just had two conflicting senses. Believing charismatic, crazy people is not like a proper way to live your life. And something about the Torah rings true to me and they don't fit together. The minute I can split those things up show those are not the same thing, there's room to can you rejecting charismatic, crazy people's nonsense while simultaneously having space within his psyche to be comfortable with his sense that the Torah is true. You see what I'm, you see? So there is a place when the question is about Clarifying what exactly the truth is that allows the Muna to feel more comfortable and settle more clearly in a person's mind. But that's not doing the work of actually making the person feel more confident. What it's doing is it's, it, 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 it's cleaning up. Let me explain to you what I mean. You walk into a room, the room is a mess, right? So a mess can be for two reasons. One, there are things there that, that shouldn't be there, that should just be in the garbage. Okay, but there's another kind of mess, which is that there's everything's there should be there, it's just not in the right place. Mm. Okay. So now, a lot of it, what if I have like in this person's case, I have a sense that I shouldn't trust crazy people just because they're charismatic, and I also have a sense that the Torah is true, and those are uh, and those are like just mixed together in my mind. My moon is going to feel very uncomfortable. I'm going to feel like I'm having doubts, right? What if I am able to separate that, that the Torah is one thing and crazy charismatic people are a different thing? Then each sense goes in a, its own slot, it gets filed in its own place in my psyche, and then the Amunna is going to feel very comfortable, right? So there's a place for that, and it's important to understand, and it's really important to, to train yourself to think, not how do we know, or how can we be sure, or how can I prove, and we're going to talk about that that's the Amunna thing, and someone else can really give you moon, especially true Amunna. But it is fair to ask the question, Um, how is this different from that? In other words, if this I have a strong sense of accepting is true and this I have a strong sense of rejecting and they seem too similar, I'm going to feel some kind of uh, insecurity because of those kind of conflicting things. And that is a different thing than what the Altaud is going to address later on in Tanya, um, which is a genuine doubt. The Altaud later on in Tanya discusses genuine doubts. Those of you who are in Chitas might be familiar with this. We just discussed it. And the author is a response to genuine doubts, which have kind of a cynical tone in the mind. It's just to ignore them and reject them. But that's different. It, a cynical, it doesn't end anywhere. It's like, well, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know How do you know that? How can you ever be sure? How can you ever be sure? How could you, you weren't there. How would you ever know? Right? That kind of voice in a person's head is just destructive. That's a different thing. But many times what feels like a doubt is not a doubt. It's a genuine sense that something is false and a genuine sense that something is true. But the truth and the false are so similar, it's hard to differentiate them. And there it's important to have, to actually ask a question, but to frame the question in a way that it could be answered. And by the way, if you frame the question that can be answered, that often solves 90% of the problem. In other words, going back to this person, the minute he was able to realize his question was, how is the giving of the Torah different than believing a a crazy person who happens to be charismatic, even if he couldn't articulate clearly the answer, the framing the question already creates some separation in your mind. Because you already start to feel like the exact boundaries of the difference might not be clear to you, but it does seem like they're different in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and now I just need to clarify what the difference is. This make sense? Okay. That does not create emuna. <coughs> it, it just doesn't. It'll, it gives the emuna space. It puts the emuna where it belongs in the psyche and it puts like, you know, a healthy degree of, 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 of critical thinking where it belongs in the psyche. So let's, let's try an example, okay? Okay. Um, You study something in the Torah, a verse, section of Talmud, and it says something that seems you very, very immoral, It's advocating something very immoral, and that starts to make you feel very uncomfortable with Judaism. Now what? Wait, it says
1: something Immoral. Immoral. Oh, immoral.
0: immoral. So now what? Now a person starts having doubts, this whole Judaism thing, this whole being religious thing. I don't know. If this is what this stuff teaches, I don't know. Now what do you do? So let's ask yourself, is your basic, the basic core of your moral sense something you should reject? No? All right. I think well, uh, uh, the basics. Right? Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so now what? Now what are you supposed to do? Should we reject that the Torah is speaking divine truth? <clears throat> right? And your sense that and and your sense that was the case before you discovered this very, very controversial passage, whatever it might be. Shouldn't do that either, right? So now what do you do? Well
1: maybe you ask yourself, where is your like where is your moral compass coming
0: from? Where's your moral compass coming from? That's a fair question. I'm going to give you another fair question. Am I sure that I understood what this passage is really saying? And the goal in both of those questions is to try and figure out how each thing has its place. They're not really contradictory. So it could be that my core moral compass is coming from a deep part of myself and the divine image, but certain specifics have been shaped by just arbitrary cultural attitudes. and that really are not intrinsic to the moral sense, right? For instance, the sense of dignity doesn't necessarily translate as everybody should be treated the same in every context, for example. But then you also the other thing is that maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I misunderstood something which is descriptive, is prescriptive. The Torah is describing a reality rather than advocating it, which is often the case. Again, but you see what, like... It, it's about asking questions that allow the kind of core senses in a person to each have their place. We have a core moral sense, which is part of the divine image. And we also have a belief in Hashem and His Torah that comes from the godly soul. And sometimes the question is not providing arguments for and against. It's just trying to like figure out how everybody, each part of us, has its space and fits. And, and if you do that, even if you don't get the precise answers that already, like I said, gives a lot of... Of serenity in a person. It creates a lot of inner calm that, that, that you, you you see that there's there's some way to that these all things fit together if you're not fully there yet. Okay. On the other hand, right, if you start out with this kind of attitude, well, we have to prove the Torah is true in order to for it to have enough weight for me to set aside my moral instinct, right? Or I my moral instinct is is, is is something that, I'm going, that I, I feel so beholden to and, and it's without any examination but that I'm willing to dismiss my senses of the truth of God in the Torah. Any type of questions that are coming from that attitude are just going to be self-defeating because you're never going to get anywhere. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to become a, a conflict, a power struggle within one's own self. And then if you appoint someone as representative of one of those sides, you're asking them to do an impossible task. So never go to somebody and ask them to prove something to you because you want to believe it. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing in Torah. It's a bad thing in life. Okay. Does this make sense? Okay, now, that wasn't directly necessary to learn the section of Tanya, but I think it's an important life thing that follows from what we were discussing in the Tanya. Okay. Now, back to the Tanya. How is one supposed to differentiate between... The belief that comes from Chachma Versus belief that's just because um, You're a fool And so you need to believe stuff In other words, like this If I believe something is that nece- Does that make it necessarily true? No If something comes from Chachma, Is it necessarily true? Remember we said that what is Chochmah? Chachma is a sense of truth, right? So Chochmah is a sense of the truth Then what comes from Chochmah is necessarily so if my immunah is the result of the chachma of my soul, then it's a belief. Then it's just it's a sense of certainty by definition in something that's true, right? In other words, part of me is a sensor of truth, right? The divine truth, that's the chachma, And the effect is that I consciously have an experience of certainty about things which are divinely true. God, Torah, Mitzvahs, etc. But I also have a sense of other things, of certainty in other things, right? Pesiyam and Chol Khodama. Fool believes things because the house you get it through life. How can you differentiate between the imuna, that's just the normal human functioning that we need to feel certainty and confidence about things in order to function in life, versus that is a that is necessarily a belief in something which is true. Very simply, how do you know that just because you believe it, it's true? It feels true, but just because it feels true doesn't make it true. <coughs> so how do you differentiate between the two? Would you like to know the answer? Okay. how do you differentiate between actually seeing things in the world and a hallucination like a visual hallucination Yeah. You know, you know, how do you differentiate the two ask
1: someone else if they see it
0: mm. does that always work no why not
1: maybe they see it
0: too <laughs> that's for sure right okay what if they don't see it then what I don't know if anybody here has worked with people who suffer from hallucinations, but just take a guess. Do you think if you go to somebody who's having a hallucination, you tell them, it's not real. I don't see it. Therefore, you should just realize you're hallucinating. They're like, oh, well, thank you. Now I'm so glad you informed me. Is that usually the response? No. Why not? They really believe that it's happening. Yeah. In fact, it, it, it's very disturbing. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it's very likely they actually think that you're messing with them, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a simple way for a person to realize that they're hallucinating? There isn't a simple way. Now, there are all sorts of things you could use, but they're not really guaranteed, right? For instance, hallucinations have an inconsistency to them. But let's be honest, right? Lots of things in life, we don't really appreciate how consistent they are. Like, it is true that if your best friend doesn't seem to age as the decades go by, that's odd. But does that guarantee that you just you have a literal imaginary friend?
1: It's hard. It's really hard. It's really 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 hard,
0: right? I'm gonna say like this. This is this is a bit of a cop out, but it's not. The person hallucinating needs to experience that it's a hallucination. That's what it comes down to. Now, how you get there, that's a complicated thing. But they have to experience that it's a hallucination. And once they've experienced that it's a hallucination, you know, regularly enough or convincingly enough, what happens? They now have to adopt a new mindset, which is not everything I see or hear is necessarily real. They have to be mindful of that, right? It's a very interesting space to live in, right? Okay. So, are there all sorts of things that we have imuna in? And then there's the imuna that comes from the godly soul, the chachma, right? How do you know which is which? You would have to experience the truth of the true Amuna and the falsehood of the false Amuna in order to know the difference. And until you've experienced that, is there any real way to know the difference? And if I tell you that there's a difference, is that necessarily going to help? How
1: is it possible to experience
0: a very good question. Anyone here, um, a musician um, that can play music by, or sing music by ear? Yes? I was
1: able to play cello. So you
0: could listen and then just play. I wasn't
1: okay. good at it. Mm-hmm.
0: But, but you could do it. it. Okay. Alright. I
1: wasn't
0: so, sure it No, so... so, so for, when you were listening to a piece of music, could you select out individual notes?
1: Kind of,
0: yeah. Okay, now how did you... You heard the note and you know oh, that's a C minor, or you, you, you heard the note and you could hear the interval between it and the previous note?
1: Uh,
0: yeah, the difference between... Most people who can, like, really hear music well and then reproduce it, what they hear is the <laughs> difference between one note and the next note. They can't tell you what the first note was and they can't tell you what the second note was, but they can tell you that that's three steps or two steps or whatever it is. Okay? Now, when you first started listening to music, could you do that? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty rare. It's pretty rare that people can do that without trying to learn how to do it. And it's not... I'm, gonna say, I'm gonna just take, it's not, not going to say it's not difficult. It is difficult, but it's not... Uh, it's not as hard as people imagine. If you listen to music and you're attentive and you work on it, and you practice and you get feedback, to eventually start to pick up, to actually hear the intervals in music. Right? That make sense. Okay. So here's an interesting thing. You could have a person before they do all this work, they listen to a piece of music and like they can tell what like really. They can tell the went up or went down. They can tell it was a big jump or a small jump. But that's about as far as they can go. And then with enough training and feedback and paying attention, they get to the point that they can differentiate you know, very, very fine gradations. Right? This is called becoming more sensitive. right? And what's interesting is that their experience is changing. Right? So you know that some people, like, they cannot for the life of them listen to music that's, that's like a piano that's not in tune. It drives them nuts. And some people it's just annoying and some people it doesn't even bother them. Sensitivity thing, right? But you could actually move yourself along that spectrum. And I'm just using sound, right? Is it unique to sound? Okay. So, what if you had something that would sensitize you to truth? Could you then start to have a very clear subjective sense of which of your senses of Imuna are grounded in Chachman, which ones are coming from just other facets of your psyche? Now, It doesn't mean you would then be able to create like an an algorithm or a rule book that you could tell the other person what to do, right? You might be able to create a training program to help the other person sensitize themselves, but that's the best you could do, right? So what would that training program be? I'll give you a verse. The verse says, I never remember verses when you bring the diving for some strange reason. We say this in Shabbos happening. What.
1: <laughs>
0: <sitting there. laughs> okay. Torah Hashem Tamima Mashiva Sanafessh, the Torah of Hashem, um, which is perfect, which is whole, restores the soul. Adu Hashem ne'amana. The, the, they translate this as the precepts, um, I, I, A, this the testimonies, the Torah is referred to as the testimonies because they testified the truth of Hashem, nemanah, which are reliable, machkimas pesi. What does machkimas pesi mean? So, remember, pesi was the word we used for fool, right? Somebody who doesn't understand but has to get by through life so they have beliefs about things, right? But what does machkimas mean? makes wise, makes them have Chachmah. So what does the Torah do to a person? It makes, you wise. <coughs> it makes you wise. In the context here of the Tanya, does it mean it makes you able to understand things? Or it gives you a sense of what comes from Chachmah and what just comes from the human need to have beliefs in order to function? So, what is the program that you can follow to sensitize yourself to Imuna that stems from Chachmah versus Imuna that's a facet of being a fool? Torah. But which kind of Torah? Torah is Hashem Tamima, when the Torah is God's Torah and its whole, when, it's, when it testifies the truth of Hashem and it has it. Words, when you embrace and then live according to Torah and study Torah the way God intends it to you to, one of the effects that it has on a person is it sensitizes you. So here's the thing. you have a person, and they don't like. they have all sorts of beliefs. How do they know what's coming from the Chachmah of their godly soul and how do they know what's just coming from a human need to believe things? How does a person who suffers from hallucination know that they're hallucinating, know which things are hallucinations? But what if that person then really de- dedicates their life to understanding Torah, living according to Torah in the way that it's intended to? What will happen over time? Emphasis is over time. They'll become sensitive to what is coming from the deeper part of their soul, the Chochmah, and what is just stuff they picked up because they happened to be listening to the radio this morning. Okay. So that is, the, that is the honest truth. That if a person wants to kind of look at themselves from the outside and try to figure out which of my beliefs are really rooted in the, in the truth that my soul senses and which of my beliefs are just... Products of being a human being living in the world. There's no objective way to stand outside yourself and figure that out. There is a subjective way to differentiate them that comes through living a life of Torah properly, which is hard. So, yeah.
1: where does the sense of rejection come from?
0: Rejection of what?
1: Like, I don't know. Like, even, like, think about like, imagine somebody like. like if you are learning this sense of tr- like you are learning the Torah, and you are practicing, and you're engaging, and you're studying, and you're acting, and that sense of rejection, maybe you grow away from it. Doesn't happen. Well, about people who aren't observant, who once were, like, that's a very basic example, but... Well,
0: so here's the uncomfortable truth about talking about these types of things. People's self-reports are not worth very much. That's, and I think the first thing before you say that is if you realize that's true about yourself. Because if you just say it about other people, that's arrogant. So I'm, I've used this example before, but I'll use it again. person becomes religious. They grew up Why did they become religious? Well, it depends when you ask them. The story keeps changing. That's the is true. The story keeps changing. So what's the actual truth? They have no idea. Something motivated it. Now, if they you believe that what Hasidah says is true, it's because, you know, the soul, and well, why why their their soul at that time? Because God has a mystery of how he relates to each soul uniquely, and that was that soul's time to wake up and whatever, blah blah blah. But what
1: about the reverse though? Somebody is so, observing so, religious and then. So the same thing. <laughs>
0: People accept so the same thing. But it what always is the case is that you don't start having doubts and lose your amuna because you're more engaged in Judaism. That's not how it works. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's not the story the person might tell themselves, especially if they want to adopt an identity as a rational thinker. Um, but there's a lot of in-between steps. For instance, I'll I'll tell you something that happens, which is very, very dangerous, is that some idiot – and I use that word intentionally – the other word is evil person, but I don't think we should impugn people's motives, so we'll go with idiot – decided that it was really important to give really solid, convincing arguments to prove the truth of Torah and mitzvahs to somebody when they were in a relatively vulnerable state. Either they were young, or they were inspired, or they were curious. And that got, they started relating to that as the foundation of their religiosity. And then they discover that those arguments are flawed at best, because every argument is flawed, and disingenuous at worst, which most of them really are. Then what happens? You heard the expression of throw out the baby with the bathwater? So then what happens is that they start to develop, then the person starts to be in very have an insecure thing with any kind of confidence and therefore the sense of a which is actually coming from their soul with strength through through, through their involvement in Torah and mitzvahs, they start to be very suspicious of that sense, right? And then they actively, usually unconsciously at first and then consciously, start to undermine its place in their own mind. You know? That's not the person learned more Torah and then they were doing more mitzvahs and they were connecting deeper to God and the soul's senses were coming out and they became more sensitive. And then, oh, it's not for me. that's not what happened. But what has happened is that a childish narrative turned out not to be true and then they feel there's a lie that happens. Um, so, like, you shouldn't do that to people when you raise your own children. You should be careful that what you're saying to them... Um, it can be on the level a child can understand, but it shouldn't. You shouldn't like stuff like that. Um, another thing: people go through hardship, and if a person, and the rabbi speaks of, a person had a false assumption that my being religious necessarily guarantees me a high quality life in the material sense, or in the, or in like you know the sense of like basic human well being. And like that was a condition on my accepting those senses of the in my mind. And I didn't even know what to be honest with myself about it. Right? And those are all those examples of the Torah not the, Hashem not being Tamimba and the Edu Hashem not being ne'amunah. The Torah is not it's not really being perfect and and, and and trustworthy, right? There's some flaw in the in the way they really torah. It. Not necessarily their fault. You see what I'm saying? Like it, it, it's not the standard to ensure success is is not to make any mistakes along the way. When I mean, you make mistakes along the way, those mistakes then have repercussions. Okay? That's true. And now that's saying the person should therefore be judged by that, often because those mistakes weren't necessarily their intentional doing. I'll give you another example. Um, what about a person who, who, who tries to maintain a sense of idolatry in their Judaism? You think, why would you do that? So, idolatry very basically is having gods other than God, right? That's the idea of idolatry. Okay. If you have a loyalties other than God, such that you're willing to examine how much place you should give God in your life, what is that going to do to your involvement in Torah and Mitzvahs? Is that going to be the wholesome way that God intends? No. That's a challenge for people. You See know what I'm saying? Like, it's not so simple, and, and sometimes when you, I, I, I know somebody says, you know, the problem is that sometimes doing something ninety nine percent right is going to fail miserably, and you think, well, well, I did ninety nine percent of it right, yeah, but the ninety nine like, but but that one percent undermines the whole thing.
1: Okay,
0: um, I'll give you a medical example. Yeah. If someone is having an operation, right? And they make sure that it's ninety-nine percent sterile. The operating environment is that good? No. It has to be hundred percent sterile, right? That <clears> one percent. <throat> All you need is that one little instrument that isn't sterile. And the person could die from an infection, right? And it's just, so, I, 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 and I don't mean to say to be judgmental. Just to be honest, right? So you say, oh, this person was religion This person religious, right? It's it, it's not trying to say they're a bad person. Sometimes you know, but but things you know go wrong. Um, and, and to look at that with compassion. Now, the reason I said that first thing about being an idiot is sometimes very people are very well-intentioned and they corrupt the Judaism in trying to like strengthen it and it doesn't work. The, the, the Rebbe Roshav gave the example of Chabad Rebbe of people pouring k- kerosene on a fire to put it out. You're not really helping the situation. You know. Sometimes it's, sometimes you have to be more more um, direct with that. Thanks. Yeah. Um... Anyway, so now, like, I want to just be clear, I'm not making an argument to anything I've just said, I'm just asserting it as this is the truth, as taught by chassidists. You can either allow yourself to accept it or not. Um, but in terms of how chassidists would I understand people being getting very into Judaism and then dropping or people being raised with it and then letting go of it, because it's, it has that, it ha- th- there's that, that inner quality and a person's not always honest with themselves about it and you know, we tell stories about it, to ourselves about what we're doing and why things happened. Okay, now, I want to then shift to talk a little bit more about a muna in it from another angle. Is a muna something that is strong or something that is weak? And before I answer the question, I want to explain to you what I mean by strong and weak. Something which is strong when it's in conflict with something else, what happens? The other thing has to bend or break. Because the thing strong. Something which is weak, what happens when it comes to conflict with something else? It bends or breaks. So is Emunah strong or is Emunah weak? When Emunah comes into conflict with other things in our life, and I'm talking here not specifically the moon that comes from Chachma, that sense of the truth of Torah, Mitzvah, of God, whatever, that comes, that comes from the Chachma that every Jew has as part of their psychological experience, is that a strong experience or a weak experience?
1: Strong.
0: Okay. Well, that way we already have something interesting. It's very Jewish. The so,
1: like when big strong, small. so
0: let's start with let's start with why Why do you say it's strong?
1: Um, because I think that if if you have that truth, if you find that truth in something, then um, it's going to be very difficult to to stray from it. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you mean to stray from it?
1: Um, to to not believe it anymore.
0: Good. So in that, that, you picked up on something. is very strong in the sense that to the degree to which you experience the emunah, it's very hard for that Imuna experience to go away. Imuna okay? has this annoying thing, which is that um, it's, not really, it's not really responsive to critique. It's responsive to will. In other words, if you want to su- suppress your own sense of emunah, something different, going. but like, if someone has a, a sense of imuna, and then you ask like, a really, really... Good question. How could that be true? How does that make any sense? The Amuna doesn't feel defensive about it. It's like I don't I mean, anyway, not about understanding. It's like, it was, I don't understand. It doesn't make it less true because I don't understand it. Like So if you
1: doubt something, that doesn't necessarily mean that your Amuna is
0: weak. Right. That's what Alter gets to later. Is that you can right you could have a lot of doubts and not have a weak amuna because the the amuna is not like the, 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 it, it's like it um, I'll, I'll use, I'll use, I'll use, um, if you have, if you have a piece of music playing and your neighbors are drilling, can you hear the music? Well, if the neighbors are drilling very loudly, the music is, is, is not loud enough, you know. And even if, the, even if the music is loud enough, the drilling, like, distorts the music, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not because the music isn't playing clearly. That's because there's something else there, okay. right? moon is actually quite unresponsive to outside influences. The only thing it's really responsive to is a person's willingness to suppress it. But that's about it. And then even then it just gets suppressed. It doesn't disappear. So in that sense it's very, very strong. But it's also very weak. What sense is it weak? I mean, if you're not, Yeah, but wife it was the Amuna week. Now it's like this. If you try to attack the Amuna, it's very strong. Has I ever played, there's a game called Stratego. Have you ever played the game Stratego? Stratego is a very, very simple game. Every piece has a certain number. And when the pieces come into conflict, which piece wins? The higher number. Make sense? In the old version, it was the lower number. But they switched to the higher number. That way little kids can understand it better. But whatever. Okay, so 10 beats 9, 9 beats 8, etc, 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 right? Okay. Well then you have a problem because the 10 is a super piece and the 10 can do whatever it wants, right? So how do you stop the 10?
1: The
0: bomb. Well, okay, there's the bomb. Yeah, but well, let's ignore the bomb. That wasn't the problem. There's a piece that outranks the, the 10, which is the spy. The spy. You play? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. spy. The spy outranks. So, but now you have the problem again. The spy is the most powerful piece. Can't enemy
1: get the spy.
0: That's right. If the spy is attacked, the spy always loses. The spy is only stronger when it attacks the TED. In other words, there's an asymmetry. Amuna has kind of the reverse. If you try to attack the Amuna, try to criticize the Imuna, critique the, that sense of, it, it's not really responsive to that. In that sense, it's very strong. But now let's flip it around. What if the Amuna tries to exert influence over the rest of your person? Over
1: the rest of who? The rest of the person. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh. Then you discover the moon is actually quite weak.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In other words. The average religious Jew has an interesting experience that they experience, um, especially if they're a man, which is three times a day, they stand in front of a wall or something like that, and they shake back and forth and think about their groceries and the bank and a bunch of other random stuff while mumbling words in Hebrew.
1: (laughs) What?
0: There's one time a chasseh came to his rebbe and says, Rebbe, I have a court case. He says, "Okay, the, the Hashem will give a bracha." or guy says, yeah, "Yeah, but my opponent—they're not the, the, the Gentile—and are they're, they're going to argue this and that." He says, "That's okay. You can make this counter argument." He says, "Yeah, but if I make this counter argument, then the Gentile will make that counter argument." He says, "But that's okay. You can make this other counter argument." And he says, "Yeah, but yeah, but, if I, but if I make that counter argument, then the Gentile will make the other counter argument." It's going on in the, in the, in the, at one point, the Rebbe says, "Look, he he doesn't daven shmonesra; he has no time to think about these things. <laughs> so you stand up and you mumble words in Hebrew while you think about everything other than God." <laughs> Now, why are you standing there if someone asks you, well, I mean, I'm dominating, I'm talking to God, right? We believe in God and believe that God answers our prayers and that's why we stand there and, and mumble words in Hebrew, right? So then, would you ever talk to a person and have your mind wander off someone else like that? Especially if the person you were talking to was like, important, especially if they had power over what's going to happen in your life? Like, Think about how, how focused your mind is when you have like, an interview for a job or for a scholarship or something, right? So how come that's not the case when you're dominating Shbun Because Moon is weak.
1: <laughs>
0: Moon is very, very weak. Moon exerts basically zero influence on the rest of you. So like, my Emunah says it's a good idea to the Daven. It's like, okay, you know, I've gotten in the habit of it. It's not a big deal. You know, yeah. you know someone asked me, of course, it's very important. It's Davidan, yeah, talk to God. He answers our prayers, right? And yet, in practice, the Moon exerts zero influence on my mindset while I'm Davening. And the Gemara goes further. The Gemara speaks about a thief. And what does the thief do? He steals. Because he's a thief, right? That's what thieves do. You don't get to be a thief by not stealing. And um, before the thief is about to sneak into someone's house, the Gemara says that the thief prays to Hashem that they should be successful. Now why is the thief praying to Hashem? Because the thief believes that Hashem is real and he runs the world and he's the one that helps you get, it, get, get a livelihood and keeps you safe. And so if you're going to break into someone's house to make money and you want to make sure that you're not caught and harmed in that process, you should pray to God, right? And so he prays to God.
1: <coughs>
0: now, the fact that Hashem says you shouldn't steal <laughs> and you shouldn't kill people, etc., that, that message didn't get through, right? Why? Is that because the person is being hypocritical? It's not because the person is being a it's because the Muna has a very weak influence on the rest of the person's psyche. So, those things that you're psychologically predisposed to do, the Muna will be enough to like kind of get you to go there. But th- something that you have a strong inclination, the opposite of the amuna, the amuna won't, won't really have an effect. So, if I'm not really inclined to pay attention to what I'm not really I'm really not inclined to be honest, I'm really not inclined to accept. That life might be more difficult than I want it to be. Then my imuna has zero effect on those things. Imuna is an interesting quality that when it gets attacked by other experiences, it doesn't get any weaker. In that sense, it's very strong. But it has the other quality that it has very little influence on the rest of the person. Okay. which leads us to a, an interesting phenomenon, which unfortunately doesn't exist. In the same way as it used to, but there used to be what was called um, the town Shagets. Shagets is a very derogatory term for a Gentile. The town Shagets was a Jew. Now, how could the town Shagets be a Jew? So I'll explain. The town Shagets was a person who sinned, sinned regularly, sinned flagrantly. <clears throat> and the, 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 the idea goes, you had these in the, and you had in a shape, guy in town, he wasn't there. And the rabbi would go to him and he'd say, Yankel, why why is your store open on Shabbos? Why are you not eating kosher? Why are you, uh, you know, cheating your customers? And his answer was,
1: Rabbi Meshach,
0: meaning what? I don't deny that God is real. I don't deny the Torah is true. I don't deny any of those things, but I'm not a pious person, (laughs) that's why. Like, I don't care. That doesn't move me. I don't deny that it's, I don't deny that God gives it. It's not saying, who says God told us to give, do we have to keep Shabbos? Who says God is real? Who says, that was not the thing. It was just like, yeah, I'm not pious. I'm like, I'm like the Gentiles. I, I don't care. In other words, the, my lack of observance is not a reflection of a lack of a Muna. It's a reflection of the like fact that a Muna is a very weak influence on the rest of a person. Now, we don't have that phenomenon as commonly, right? Generally speaking, if a person starts flagrantly violating halachic norms, what do we do in the modern world? What do such people often do in the modern world? They start rationalizing that away by saying that the (coughs) targets aren't really real, the God didn't really command them. (coughs) Why would people do that? So they don't feel bad about
1: themselves.
0: And and back in Eastern Europe and in North Africa and wherever else, you know, the, the people were okay with feeling bad about themselves.
1: Yeah. Wait. <laughs> what do you mean? Because they
0: didn't. This is a relatively new phenomenon.
1: Oh. Okay. I see what you mean.
0: Yeah. You want to hear something interesting? In 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 Germany, before the Enlightenment. And the and, and like the idea of and before sorry before Reform Judaism started many of the Jews in Germany were not that pious and not that religious. So what changed was, it went from we're just not that pious and not relig- that religious to to
1: rationalizing it through
0: like... Yeah. So what changed? What changed? Like, there's also, there's like this myth, like if you were to go back <clears throat> to like the times of the Second Temple, right? Do you think every Jew was the most <clears throat> pious Jew in the world? No, we know that. You want to hear something really <laughs> wild? In, in, in the times of the Second Base of Middash, There was a huge Jewish community living in Egypt. Huge Jewish community. Huge. They actually had a base of English in Egypt, by the way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a whole complicated thing. It was forbidden, but they built one anyway. Whatever. It was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, After the Chashmuraim, the Hasmoneans, um, defeated the Seleucid and established their own kingdom, you see something very interesting happening in the Egyptian Jewish community. They start giving their children Hebrew names instead of Greek names. Now yeah, j- just think about that for a minute. What kind of society gives their children Greek names? They're somewhat assimilated. right Now there's, They're a fairly distinct <laughs> Jewish community, right? And why are there some giving their children Hebrew names? changed. There's a difference in in the way they see themselves, right? Okay, so now, let's imagine um, you're like a Jew, and you're Jewish, you're part of a Jewish community, um, and you're living in the United States in the 1950s, early 1960s, yeah? And you have a child, or do you name them Moshe or Morris? Why? Yeah, it's like, why, why do you have to stand there? Now, you're still Jewish. It's a certain mindset, right? Like, you're Jewish, and that's okay. But, you know, say, the rabbi can be Moshe, but, like, your kid is normal, right? Okay. Now, you have a kid the week after the sixth they wore.
1: <clears throat>
0: what are you more likely to name your kid?
1: Moshe.
0: See, it's a different shit, right? But, like... The, there, there's ways of relating, not everything is going, right? there's different sensibilities of things, right? So you had Jews were not always also pious, not all Jews were always so from. <laughs> like it, just, it, was not, it was never the case. and maybe it was the case in the times of the desert or something, right. But you know, you get people more pious, less pious, then there's this thing where you start turning it into an ideology. Right? You start shifting from I'm not so pious, I'm more assimilated I'm less assimilated. I do more Gentile things, I do less Gentile things too. Who says that God really commanded Shabbos? Like, what, what, what changes in that, right, is not. Somehow people have a way of, like, being okay with believing things and acting differently. That's part of the weakness of Amun. The moon. The moon doesn't even necessarily make you feel bad. It actually has to do with something about the modern world, which is the, do, the idea of seeing ourselves as rational beings. And now there's something inconsistent about holding a belief system and not doing it. But the thing is, if you take away that that sense, that identity of seeing yourself as an enlightened, rational being and just a more kind of basic human thing, you can have a belief that Hashem is real, Torah is real, mitzvahs are real, right? And like be also kind of ambivalent about it at the same time. And there's really nothing in and of itself that a can do to change that. It's people's adoption of a kind of a rationalist identity within themselves that starts to like force that. Inconsistency to feel uncomfortable. It's not the moon itself, right? So you got people more similar, less similar. Feel more connected, feel less connected, whatever, you know. you know. And so the guy can tell the rabbi, rabbi, I'm a, you know, I'm a gentile. I mean, he doesn't really mean he's a gentile. What does he mean? He means I'm, I'm not so pious. It's okay. I he believes he comes to shul, he goes to Yom, you know and fasts on Yom Kippur. It's like okay, that's contradiction. I'm not a philosopher. What's the big deal? It's a contradiction. It's someone else's problem. Right? If you insist on internal rational consistency, which is a choice, or a cultural mindset, then that gets, that's different. So imuna doesn't even make you feel
1: bad. Is that a bad thing to want, rational
0: consistency? I'm not saying it's bad or it's good, I'm just pointing out that it's not. it's a different thing altogether this was actually the Alter Rebbe's point of why adding some element of rationalization into our relationship with God is important because it helps deal with this problem, right? If you, you could take the other approach, right? If I really believe these things, then irrationally I should live up to them. That means I have to relate to them as more real and they have to become more impactful and I have to know them in a more deeper way, right? Kind of the opposite of the reforming of Judaism is the reverse, reforming the person. <laughs> but anyway, but my point is like that... People are, people are much more of a mess in their experiences. Some experiences are extremely strong, like feeling in danger. Some experiences are extremely um, weak. And imuna is weak in one respect and strong in another respect. It's very weak in terms of its influence on the rest of the person.
1: Can you strengthen in that influence then? Mm-hmm.
0: That's basically the whole theme of the Tanya. Especially up till chapter 25. we till 25. Mm-hmm. But um, there's things you can do. Yeah, I mean, in, in general, that's the whole idea of Chasidis. The whole idea of Chasidis in general is that the experience of Amunah should become a more powerful thing on the rest of the person. And different versions of Chasidis approach that in different ways. But the thing is, moon on its own is not. It's just, it's not, doesn't have that kind of strength.
1: It's aware Jews now more prone to
0: this
1: than Jews culture oh
0: really just culture just culture I mean there's divine providence in that which is why like, if you start looking at cultural differences you'll start to see that too for instance this is a general observation but let's say who is more likely to be more comfortable with the idea that I don't do everything it says in the Torah an Ashkenazi or a Sephardi at least in Israel probably also outside of Israel
1: Ashkenazi
0: Ashkenazim will come, I don't do everything it's it says in the Torah.
1: It's not It's really In
0: other like, words, no, 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 no. You have a person, like, yeah, yeah, it says in the Torah, that's what you're supposed to do, and that's what God said. I don't do it, though. It's, party. It's,
1: party. it's
0: very, it's very, it's much harder to find Ashkenazim will say, yes, God really did say that you're supposed to do X, but I just don't do it. That's I mean, a lot, that's a lot. Why is that
1: Ashkenazim? Like, why Ashkenazim? I feel like it's, it's more like American Ashkenazi. I'm speaking
0: specifically in Israelis. I'm uh, only talking about Israelis. Okay. Americans are much more complicated. Okay, that makes me, okay, I'm talking about in Israelis. If you have like an Israeli who's Ashkenazi, either they're religious or they're not religious. They're, again, I'm generalizing yeah. tremendously.
1: Yeah.
0: But like, you <laughs> have people that are Sparta. The Sparta culture is much more like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like,
0: you know, they go to like the rabbis, like full Haredi, and like, oh, just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't do that stuff. But like that's the stuff you're supposed to do. I just don't do it. And like, I'm, I mean, fine, like, you know, until I have like, a problem, then I have to be more religious because God, is way send me a wake-up call. Like, it, it, and a lot of that has to do with like that, that, you know, there's, you know, cultural differences. I mean, the, the culture of, of, of Europe and the Enlightenment and all of that stuff, you know, was not the same culture in North Africa and in Syria, right? So yeah. Is this weakness? What's that? I, I, I want to be clear. I was just using that as a gross generalization. Like, if you start looking at individual people, it's very different, I was going to do with it. personality types, experiences, culture, all these types of things. But I don't think it's not like there's nothing intrinsic. And Muna, by the way, if you go back, it was reversed. Um, in the culture in the medieval times was the reverse, that the culture in the, in, in, in the Sparta countries was much more um, intellectualized. And so you, you see the reverse. There's actually, a, you know, whereas in, in the Ashkenazi countries it wasn't. And so, like, I think America is a complicated thing that has a melting pot and figuring out cultural trends in America, the whole different thing. But in Israel, the communities tend to be very, there's very much like people came from Europe and people came from North Africa and the Middle East, and then they very created communities which are somewhat isolated from each other. And you really do see a difference. Um, like 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 or even like when people are less observant or less religious about things, it tends to be that if they're Ashkenazim, they have to create a whole like ideology about that, we're a particular subgroup of orthodoxy. Whereas in this part of it's like, you know, I mean, I'm more religious, I'm less religious, but it's like a personal experiential thing. It's not like I don't have to like. Again, I'm generalizing tremendously. I'll use it again. This is a gross overgeneralization. It's much more likely to have a, a Sephardic woman in Israel who accepts that you're supposed to cover your hair and just doesn't. Then you're going to have an Ashkenazi woman like that. If an Ashkenazi woman is worth that, doesn't cover her hair, she has a whole explanation why you don't really need to cover your hair. And there's a lot of probably. Sometimes it's temperament, sometimes it's culture, whatever. But like I don't. My point is the immune is like not the realm. The immune doesn't like. The moon is like, this is, has sense, this is true and has very little ability to actually push the rest of the person emotionally, intellectually, in any direction. Now, why would that be?
1: Wait, but you said that, that
0: it's hashkacha that this is cultural. I'm sure it is. This is cultural? Everything's,
1: everything's So Right. I was just saying, I was just saying that
0: because I don't want to make it sound like it's completely arbitrary because I'm sure God has his divine reasons. But okay. like, in terms of like understanding the phenomena, I don't really think... The, Um a friend of mine told me once <laughs> this is he said this was in a Chabad house that like caters to like um caters to like um Persian community. And he said he said it's so it's Shabbos and someone gets called up to the Torah. This is like a thing that happens all the time, someone gets called up to the Torah, and their felt phone rings. Like mm-hmm. right as they're about to their, and he picks up the phone, and he says, is and he says, like he, he he yells at them and he yells at them. In Hebrew, Aliyah la Torah. <laughs> and he says, oh. like like some of them, there's no contradiction.
1: <laughs>
0: like but it's like uh, so there's that. is like
1: okay. Where
0: where where you're not resistant to it, it has an effect. And where you are resistant to it, it it's impervious to the resistance, but it can't affect anything. It has it has this kind of weird quality. And, and, and the reason is because the amuna and this Chassidah says the amuna hasn't really penetrated the psyche. It's kind of an atmosphere. The technical term for this is makif. So it's like if you go to a wedding and there's really good music playing, you're going to be in a good mood unless you have really strong internal reasons not to be in a good mood, right? Like if you go and you're like kind of like ambivalent or the other, then the music will put you in a good mood because you know, the music has an effect. But the music isn't strong enough to like, if you're going through a really hard time all of a sudden, now, like, your deep issues are no bother you anymore. It, it kind of just hovers around. And Emunah has that kind of quality. It has an effect on the but it doesn't really become integrated in the rest of the person. And so there's this sense of certainty about Hashem and Torah and Mitzvahs, all this kind of stuff. But it lends itself to misinterpretation or misapplication or ignoring it, right, Or be, or treating it in this kind of almost seemingly inconsistent, hypocritical way, and that's, kind of the beauty and downside of moon is that it's, it's internally so absolute, but at the same time it is externally so uninfluential.
1: Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so then, so then what gets men to daven three times a day, and put on the Thelona, I and, mean, like, what is, where does that come from? Imuna.
0: Oh, okay. But you have to, this is the trick, you have to okay. habituate the man to it. If you don't habituate oh, okay. the man to yeah. it, and he's a strong resistance, right? So the man, of course, he have to have three times a day, but now he has a business meeting, <laughs> well, that, that then he skips that, because that mincha is like, that's what ends up happening. Okay. Right? So in other words, where, where, where there isn't strong resistance to the imuna, then things work out nicely. But where there isn't, this is, why it's a, this is why it's very good when educating children to get them into good habits that are consistent with the truth. Not because that's the source of why they do things, but it's a lot easier to do things when your Imuna is not meeting resistance. Because Imuna has a weakness to it. Yeah.
1: Like um, the wedding example, sometimes it's like you have an internal reason for being um, miserable. Yeah, miserable. Um, and then you hear the music, music actually makes you feel more miserable. That's like it adds on to it. So it does your true. Imuna also look in the same way? Like if you're well.
0: Yeah. Like you can be tortured by your Imuna. That does happen.
1: So it can
0: happen. Yeah, like like some people feel tortured by their moon. They wish the moon would just go away because it, it prevents them from feeling wholeheartedly comfortable with like their ungodly choices. It's like an annoying voice in your head, and you just wish it would go away. That can happen too. Sure. But um, yeah, so I mean, this is one of the reasons why, like you know, you know the the the. the, the the 15-year-old, 14-year-old asks the guy on the street, uh, are you Jewish? He says, yeah, do you want to put on Tefillin? He says, I don't believe in God. He says, that's okay, do you want to put on Tefillin anyway? <laughs> and the idea being is that, okay, he says he believes, he says he doesn't believe, like, that doesn't really make a difference. He has Emunah anyway. Like, okay. So like, you know, if he has Emunah anyway, then what, like, that, that's like a non-issue. The issue is he's not putting on Tefillin, so let's put on tefillin. And if he puts on Tefillin, at least in that little behavior, his life is a little more consistent with the Emunah, so the Emunah can actually have more place. Um, which leads to all of these genre of stories about like the person is very upset with Mufzayim because he like put on film once or like Shabbos candles once or whatever it is And then it makes the Emunah a bit of a more prominent experience in their mind and now it's annoying and they can't get rid of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: That happens to people <laughs> okay. But again the point is that ultimately the moon is not coming for anything The moon is just like the effect of the Chachmah on the rest of the psyche But it is a very kind of it, it, gener- it, it makes the psyche have this kind of different atmosphere, this other voice in it, but it's not really cha- it, can't, it doesn't have that power to impose itself on your psyche. Okay. That's very important. Immunida doesn't have that. Okay. Questions?
1: What happens when you suppress Immunida?
0: Well? Long enough? Yeah.
1: Like it just like. Yeah. Well,
0: suppressing a munah So have to remember, where's the munah coming from? It's coming from the Chochmah yeah. So suppressing a munah is trying to block out the Chochmah mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about this later The Chachma is actually a lot stronger than just the experience of a munah itself And you know what happens if you pull um, a spring And you keep pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, pulling it Eventually the tension becomes stronger than you and snaps back mm-hmm. So that's what would eventually happen But a person might die before that happens but if a Jew were to live forever and keep suppressing and keep suppressing and keep suppressing the then what they're really doing is pushing the chachma deeper and deeper and deeper away from their psyche. And eventually, the chachma comes back with a vengeance, which we'll talk about later. Uh, the chachma can come out in a more overt manner. But when that happens... Um, this was basically the the, uh, the, the, the the plan of Eliyahu and of Elijah the prophet. He tells to the people and says, you know, if you're going to worship God, worship God. If you're going to worship Baal the idol, worship Baal the idol. Pick, you know, go whichever way you want, but, but don't don't stand on both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. You think, okay, well, why why should you go worship Baal? And you think, well, in order to worship Baal, what are you going to have to do with your amuda? And if you keep doing that enough, what's going to happen? The Chacham is going to come okay. back. And then you'll end. Right? So it's like, it's like either go to God or keep going away from God until you can't like anymore like the and then you long, fling back, right?
1: Like the long, the That's, short,
0: right. Long That's right. That's right. It's like you can either approach God as a righteous person or you can approach God as a Balshuva, but you'll eventually get, get back to God one way or the other. It's just one way is a lot more traumatic. Now, again, in real life, it is possible for a person not to live long enough for that backlash thing to happen, which is why it's not a recommended like, go to strategy. The really dangerous thing is the reverse, where you do like a little bit of suppression, a little bit of like release and back and forth. That's the worst place, because that you can just like hop around there forever.
1: And there won't be like a that Right.
0: Back. It's like you pull the string you just pull the spring, let it go, pull the string like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's the worst thing. Um, I have a question. I don't know how legit this question is. Uh about example with Steve. Uh, If it's not the lack of Imuna, what
0: is lacking then? So, what is lacking is called Das. Das is a different thing. Das and Imuna share something in common. They share two things in common. A, they share a sense of certainty. And B, they share a sense that you don't really experience something directly. That's what they have in common. The difference is that Das is extremely powerful. Das is so powerful, everything in a person ends up functioning according to Das. Um, So for instance, um, if you have Das in the fact that money is important, then that means that all of your behavior and all of your emotions and all of your worldviews will always be centered around the significance of so when you lose money, you can't help but feel sad. When you make money, you can't help but feel happy. When you have an opportunity to feel money, you feel the need to do it, right? When someone explains to you something which makes something else makes money seem not important, you feel the need to figure the flaw in their argument, and you, and you, it it's like something that controls the whole psyche. And so das and amuna have, the, in that sense, they're very very opposite. Um, and das is part of the rational mind. Um, so and that's something
1: everyone has to work on.
0: Generally. <coughs> Generally. That children lack das, which is why they're not responsible for themselves. <laughs> um, yeah. According to the Rambam, the first mitzvah of the Torah is to have das and God.
1: Can you give an example of what we were saying before about like, teaching kids or people in a vulnerable state like Yiddish with like a false...
0: How do we know that the Torah is real? I'm going to use my favorite example of this. <clears throat> something you should not do. The Torah predicts all of these amazing things with the Bible codes. Only a divine book could have done something like that. Right? Or, another example. I mean, this is like, another example. Um,
1: the, the, the,
0: unique nature of the Hebrew language and its ability to convey layer upon layer of meaning could only be because it's truly divine. Okay, now here's the thing. Number one, if you know anything about these fields, you know, this is not true. Like, there's lots... Like, any language can layer upon layer of meaning, right? Take a, take a few courses, advanced literature courses. Um, and, like, in terms of Bible code stuff, like, I don't know if you know anything about mathematics, that's a bunch of baloney. Um, etc., cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or... Um, I'll give you a more subtle example. Okay, if you, you know, um, the text of the Torah has been perfectly preserved from the time of Moshe to the very day, this very day. That's false. It's not true. Naamahs are not true. <coughs> the text of the of the Chumash that we have. Does not conform with the Talmud's description of the text. There are many, many divergences. It's not a, it's a known problem. There's halach discussions about it. Now, does that mean you have to tell that to a six-year-old? No. But what you tell a six-year-old should not be something that is false. Right? You can say that the Torah has been carefully preserved for generations, right? And as the before the child and, and you know, and like there's a way like people know like you can't. If, if a child is given a, a message about something that, that is that is that is just false, and they discover it's false, it's very very disconcerting to the whole thing. And by the way, like you can you can talk about things not in the context of doubts. Like for instance, you can talk about like you could talk to a child like, like if we you know uh, what would happen if we were to have you know a, a dispute about the correct spelling of a sefer torah. Like how do we deal with that? What do we <laughs> think? Have a discussion about that without even the context of the reliability of tradition. as a thing, you know. So there's a way to like. To kind of, you describe, think, it sounds like you're describing describing someone who like
1: knows better and
0: is like. Right. Trying. So if a <laughs> person doesn't know, they don't know. I'm not. Talking, but but the thing is, a lot of times people do know better, and they try to create a a fairy tale version of things. Um that is very effective when a person is not thinking critically either they're too young to think critically they're too inspired and want everything to be true um they're not being you're potentially you're leaving out things and it just doesn't it's not a good thing to do it's really not a good thing to do quick
1: question now
0: again that's entirely different if someone has a specific question and you happen to know the answer it's a very different thing but that's what I'm talking about um and, you know, it's like talking to, talking to someone who's interested. I'll give you example. A, 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 a cousin of mine who's not religious is starting to get more involved in things. And I was, um, I was visiting, visiting my relatives, and, and, and she asked um, about the written Torah and the oral Torah. And, like, you know, and she, she was like, How do we know that we haven't lost information? And the answer is we have lost information, and how do we know that things aren't just changed by people's perspectives? Like, they are changed by people's perspectives. Like that's part of the system, and we have we, we have an understanding of how to reconcile that with divinity. Like just be honest about that, and you can be honest that that is a question to which there are many answers, and there isn't one settled. View. You don't have to confuse people, but like, imagine then you just, I were to tell her, Oh, we know because of this, and X, Y, and Z, and I give this whole like, wonderful thing of how we know that every detail in Torah has been perfectly preserved. And, and then she finds out it's not true. Then what happens? That whatever progress she's made in feeling comfortable with her own Amuna, like goes out the window. Why would you do that to a person? So some people, like I said, I don't only think they're impugning their motives. They're evil people. But they're doing something which is really, really stupid. It's idiotic. Don't do that. Now. It has to be person-appropriate, age-appropriate. Obviously, the less informed you are, the harder you, you can and do it by mistake. You just didn't know. Okay, fine. But like, no, no one's asking us to be perfect. But certainly when we know better, say things that are true um, in a way that's, that's appropriate. You can say things that are not factually true when it's clear that they're not factually true. But you can say a story. This is a story that says it gives over an important meaning and lesson without like making it like an article of faith that the story happened. Like, not every story about every tzaddik, like... You know, there's stories that they illustrate a nice point, and we, you know, did it really happen? I, I don't know, it wasn't there, it doesn't say it in the Chumash. You know, it wasn't... We don't have a clear tradition that this for sure happened, but it illustrates an important point about good behavior, about God's providence or whatever. Sometimes that's just conveyed in how you say it. you don't have to say I mean, depends on the age, whatever, but things are important. Does that make sense? It actually comes because the person doesn't believe the other person has a muna. So you, have to, like, you feel like you have to create conviction for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Instead of giving them language for their own convictions that they have from their own soul. That's really what it comes down to. Like, if you're ever having the thought, how do I convince the person that this is true? You should realize you're, you might not be thinking this consciously, but you're relating to them as if they don't really have a godly soul. And you can't give someone a godly soul, so <laughs> that's the problem. And whatever you do from that place on is going to be problematic. Relate to people like they have a godly soul, and uh, things work out much better that way. Good. Okay. Tomorrow we'll learn more. We'll even read something inside. What?
1: Will we discuss some future? Does.